Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. It was 54 years ago, but it still haunts neighbors. The street was all lit up, police cars and flashing lights everywhere. It, because it was close. It, that doesn't happen in our neighborhood. Julie Ress was just a girl, 12 years old. Judith Hemmer was newly married and friendly with her beautiful neighbor, who seemed to have it all. She was outgoing and very confident. Yeah, she had a beautiful smile, pretty eyes. But on that Sunday night in September of 1966, everything changed. The Cincinnati Strangler was on the loose. Four women had already been raped and murdered. And then the Brickas were found. You've got a, a beautiful wife, a workaholic husband, an adorable child in a nice neighborhood. Jerry, Linda, and their four-year-old little girl, Debbie, all stabbed to death inside their home along Greenway Avenue in Bridgetown. What was the fear like? Palpable. J.T. Townsend admits he is obsessed with what happened that night. He spent decades piecing together every horrific detail and writes about the terror in his book, Summer's Almost Gone. Jerry goes down, is confronted. I think the adults are herded upstairs, possibly at gunpoint. And then the killing started. Jerry undoubtedly killed first. Linda is stabbed on the bed. Big blood stain on the bed. Debbie appeared to have been dragged. She's completely, arms completely out, legs completely out. Stuffed animal, just out of her reach. We lived up in the suburbs. Uh, my mom wanted to get mace. Uh, you know, people were getting guard dogs, and it just wasn't supposed to happen here in Cincinnati. Hi, thanks for joining us on Yeah Aha with Lisa. And Phil. This week we have J.C. Townsend joining us. Um, that's J.T. Townsend. Right. I am not having a good word day. Well, J.T. Mm-hmm. is a historian mm-hmm. and um, true crime writer from Cincinnati mm-hmm. who's specialized in cases that, about our city. Unsolved cases. He has three published books, which now I can um, pleasantly report that I've read all of them now <laughs> because I've just finished his latest book. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone through yeah. all three, and uh, I just finished Summer's Almost Gone. So, uh, JT, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I'm I'm quite the fan. So, And I'll have you know, JT, that not only did we buy the Kindle version, but we also bought the uh, hardback version. Yes. Because oh, bless, bless you. <laughs> yes. um, well, uh, Lisa and Phil, it's, uh, it's good to be on here with you. Um, I like to say my head is a true crime pinata. Mm-hmm. So, so whack it a few times and let's see what spills out. <laughs> now, I know we sent an outline. Um, that outline is a suggestion. I have that. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. It is not, uh, not anything that we absolutely have to follow verbatim. Right. 
But what I would like to do is I would like to kind of ease into the cases. Um, you have so much detail about these cases that maybe that's not the best approach, but this is kind of what interests me for just from the, 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 the craftsmanship uh, side of it, you know, the true crime writing, your style. How did, how did you come to start um, being interested in true crime and um, taking it further to start um, writing about it and publishing books? Good questions. Uh, I was a normal fourth grade boy, um, like baseball, Batman, and I read a book called Ten Little Indians by Agatha Christie. I love that book. Yeah. Ten people invited to an island by a mysterious host. And while they're at dinner, a record is played, and each one of these people is responsible for a death that maybe the law couldn't touch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they start being murdered. And then they realize the murder is one of them. Mm -hmm. I had never read anything like this. And that was my true crime uh, auspices, so to speak. Um, quickly seg segued into Jack the Ripper, uh, Lizzie Borden, mm -hmm. Lindbergh Baby, um, Lincoln Assassination. And then in 1966, it crystallized here in Cincinnati mm -hmm. with the year of the Cincinnati Strangler and the Bricka family murders. What a saga. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we'll definitely get into those uh, cases here in a bit. Um, but to uh, expand on why I started writing about it. Mm -hmm. I like to say that I turned to crime to fight cancer. Oh. Uh, I got a cancer diagnosis in 2007. I was just a corporate drone, you know, working for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And um, I was uh, facing a, a, a six months of chemo and my uh, chemo doctor and my wife both suggested, hey, you know, I've been collecting cold case stuff in Cincinnati for decades, you know, just, yeah. just stuff about Cincinnati crimes. I had a huge notebook and it was suggested, hey, why don't you write that book mm -hmm. during chemo? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I worked, took chemo and wrote Queen City, no, Queen City Gothic. Mm -hmm. And six months later, I was cancer free and had a terrible first draft of a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, chemo, I had a chemo brain book. Mm. Oh, oh, it was ugly. Yeah. Uh, two years of editing, and in 2009, Queen City Gothic came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, I retired from corporate life in 2011 and uh, published Notorious in 2014, and Summer's Almost Gone 2018. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, this is my encore career. This is what I was meant to do. Yeah. I wish I'd started doing this right out of college. What, what was your <laughs> really publishing do. journey for Gothic? Um, yeah, went with Author House, um, a pretty pretty widely known publisher, um, and uh, um, started to become disenchanted with the publishing process. Uh, mm. Ten ten percent royalties. Hey, I did all the work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, typically the publisher gets 45% and a bookstore gets 45%. Wow. But now there's no more bookstores. Right. And um, I went with another publisher for Queen City Notorious, a little bit better on the um, 
royalty and then summer's almost gone was the fledgling offering of my own mm-hmm. self-created publishing company true crime detective press Oh. All right, and, and I know you two are I know you two are young, but but uh, mm-hmm. Lisa, you mentioned detective magazines. Yes, um, mm-hmm. True Crime Detective was the debut detective magazine in the twenties by Bernard McFadden. Mm-hmm. It's the original detective magazine, and I own the domain now. Oh, oh wow! True cool. Crime Detective. My my marketing person grabbed that up. That's a great domain to have for a true crime writer. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, um, you know, that's how uh, that's how this all came to be. I got kind of a late start. I uh, wish I hadn't spent 32 years in corporate America, but, uh, yeah. you know, better late than never. So what I like about like, OK, so my my English teacher who I actually I thought she was amazing. I love you know, I had a crush on her, Mrs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <noticed>. But <laughs> he loved uh, true crime writing you know and it's kind of what made me think well you know this is okay yeah this is okay to consume because you know my english teacher who's like an angel to me is like she she likes to read this stuff yeah. her favorite writer was truman capote not just liter, not just you know hemingway or anybody else but capote yep and uh, she loved in true in cold blood yeah and uh, yeah. so I went down the, the rabbit hole starting to read that and i've never been able to get beyond like 40 pages because it's so <laughs> it's so descriptive and, and so literary so what i'm getting at is i really enjoy your style of writing um uh, i'm a little different than capote and mm-hmm. i give him yes. i give him mad props for in cold blood yeah. mm-hmm. he created a new genre there it's the non-fiction novel yeah. mm-hmm. he took a true case and gave it the atmosphere and the eerie recreations and the tone of a novel right mm-hmm. and Man, it, it flipped the literary world on its head, and everybody's been trying to duplicate it. Um, I put way more detail in my books. Um, I lay the detail on, as you mentioned, Phil, uh, heavy. Uh, true crime fans like that. Yeah. And I want to make sure you could, the, the reader can make up their own mind. They're not missing any information. Mm-hmm. Um, and Capote, it's well known. He did invent some scenes in In Cold Blood that never occurred. Yeah, I read that uh, some of the people yeah. in, in the uh, in the town were actually very upset with the... Correct, yes. It, it's called literary license. He might have gone a little far with it, but, but consider someone's almost gone. And I put this in the very front in the disclaimers. Um, you know, I had to... Uh, when there's no one there to record what's being said, right. how do we know what was said? Right. And, and yet there's all these historical um, books written, and somebody apparently imagines they were in their room. I, I think this is what I wrote. Actual interview quotes from the 66 case file are used, but some dialogue is imagined for dramatic or relevatory effect while remaining consistent with the characters and the events as portrayed. I had to do that a little bit, and summer's almost gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but but tons of quotes from the file, and then you can kind of fill in. You know what the next question was, that kind of thing, and um, you know, everybody's concept of truth has to run through some person, and and summer's almost gone. That's my concept of what it was. But you know, um, you've got to use a little license, though, in true crime. Mm-hmm. 
I um. Well, and and part of that is um, how do you get to where you're going without a little bit of a license? Exactly. You use a uh, you use something that I've never that I haven't seen uh, in other true crime. Um, you use it in Queen City Gothic and Notorious, and then you actually use it in um, Summer's Almost Gone. So all three, you do a little um, first person um, eyewitness. Eyewitness, yes. As, as in, as in me, not my eyeball. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did it in Gothic. Um, didn't do it so much in Notorious. Um, had a little bit of that, and Summer's almost gone. Right. You know, it's funny though. In Gothic, I had people that didn't like that. They said I loved everything in your book, but the eyewitness. And then I had other people that just loved the eyewitness. Yeah. You know, I, like- I mean, I, I wanted to try to solve those cases. Mm-hmm. It's it's frustrating. You gotta you gotta take a stand if you're an armchair detective like me, you know, or citizen sleuth, if you will. Right. Um, yeah, name the killer. You, you, you know Why what not? I'm saying? Right. It's yeah. your book. Well, I think it's a it's yeah. a way to um, put across your thoughts on it without having it uh, taint the uh, the narrative of the chapter or the story. Um, too much you can, you can reserve that for the end and use your creativity to to sure for conjecture i mean everybody i talked about inductive deductive and abductive reasoning and mm-hmm. summer's almost gone and abductive reasoning is what a jury does in a way but right who is the most probable killer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i'm not a court of law um you know uh presumption of innocence means nothing to me uh, I'll, I'll take all the hearsay you've got. Um, reasonable doubt is not necessarily a concept. Who is the most likely killer? Um, and that's what abductive reasoning comes to tell you. Um, you know, I love the Lizzie Borden case. Mm-hmm. It's the most stunning, fascinating murder in this country's history still. Mm-hmm. But there's so many people that try to let her off the hook and say she didn't do it. And it ruins the whole story. <clears throat> Yeah. You know, I consider Lizzie Borden to be one of the first feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she was going to be disinherited, and she didn't want she and her sister going to the poorhouse. And she took a man's way to solve her problem by killing her father and stepmother. Yeah. But if you think of abductive reasoning, mm-hmm. uh, when the stepmother was hacked to death at 930 that morning in Fall River, mm-hmm. there was only one person known to be in the house with her, and that was Lizzie Borden. You know, the maid was outside washing the windows, and the only enemy that Abby Borden had in the world mm-hmm. was her stepdaughter, Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And she's alone in the house with her when she's murdered. And and I've spent time in that house. Mm-hmm. It's a small, mm-hmm. narrow house. Uh, I think if you're downstairs and somebody else is hacking up your stepmother upstairs, I think you might hear it mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but... Um, You know, Lizzie Borden is our most logical answer here. Mm -hmm. Motive means an opportunity. But um, I I get so fascinated when people try to claim she didn't do it. Yeah. You were playing devil's advocate, probably, just, uh, you know, trying to, uh, in in their own way, maybe stoking interest in the case. But, you know. I mean, the house was locked up tight. Um, Abby Borden didn't even have a life outside of her own house, Mm -hmm. you know. But Lizzie advised her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie Borden read Charles Dickens 
full of themes of evil step-parents, disinheritance, women going to the poorhouse. Mm-hmm. Her sister Emma's out of town. It's the perfect time to kill him. She tried to poison him. A woman's mm-hmm. way of murder didn't work. Mm-hmm. So she takes a hatchet to him and makes it look like a maniac gun into this locked house. And it it worked. She was acquitted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's not even an interesting story if she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah, it's fascinating it's, that this Sunday school teaching young woman's Christian temperance society woman took a hatchet and cleaved in her parents' skulls in 1892. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's just stunning. And one more thing on Lizzie, I could go on and on about it. Mm-hmm. What, what sets that crime apart from anything I've ever looked at, it's a mm-hmm. double homicide with a 90-minute gap between murders. Mm-hmm. The wow. target was the stepmother at 9.30. Right. The father comes home at 11 o'clock looking for the wife. I think he's getting ready to change the will. Mm-hmm. But what does Lizzie do between 9.30 and 11 while she's waiting for her father to come home? Her stepmother is lying dead in the next room. I've been in this house. Mm-hmm. She has 90 minutes and she weighs... Am I going to kill my father or not? Right. Now, she loved her father, mm-hmm. but he would know. He would find his dead wife, and he would know that Lizzie had killed her. Would he protect her? And could she bear to lose her father's love? Right. Could she bear to have him look at her? So I think 90 minutes after, when he came home, she decided he had to go. Yeah. So if the killing of the stepmother is an orgasm of hate and rage. You fat cow, you know, 20 blows when three would have sufficed. Mm-hmm. The killing of the father is like the stuff of Greek tragedy. She reached around the door jam when he was sleeping. I'm sure she had tears in her eyes. Yeah. So two completely different crimes, a crime of passion and a crime of fear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I tell you, the Lizzie Borden case is it's, it's the one. If, if you're a, a, an armchair detective, true crime aficionado, it is America's most seminal murder case and always will be. And what? that's what? all I'm going to say on Lizzie Borden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, and obviously a project of passion. <laughs> you think oh, 90 yeah. minutes sitting there thinking about the premeditated, you know, that's premeditation, especially when you're facing sure. you're something you've already sure. done. She certainly planned to kill the stepmother at 930, but mm-hmm. I don't think the father was part of the original plan. Yeah. And, you know, he had enough pull in Fall River, Massachusetts. He could have sent her away to avoid her getting indicted for the stepmother's murder. He was rich enough. To but, avoid the, but, the shame. but he would have known that she did it. And mm-hmm. and not to not to make Lizzie a monster, I think she couldn't bear to lose his love. She loved her father. And there are many people that speculate that there was an incestuous relationship going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, after Lizzie's acquittal, she bought that mansion, and I've been in it, on the hill where all the rich people lived. Mm-hmm. Um, she carried on an affair with a, uh, a, a well-known actress at the time named Nance O'Neill. Mm-hmm. So Lizzie was very sexually conflicted as well. Yeah. It's it's such a fascinating case. And people that try to say she didn't do it, I just want to 
<laughs> I want to give him. I want to give him some wax. I'm well, like, I, you're ruining. You're ruining this story. Yeah. By trying to make her not guilty. Because mm-hmm. uh, Lizzie counted on people not believing she could have done it. She counted on that. Yeah. And you know. I like to say about Lizzie Borden, and this will be my last thing, you know, you have to think about her life after. She was shunned in that town. Shunned. Mm-hmm. Is getting away with murder worse than getting caught? Think about that one. Oh. Nice question. Yes. Well. <laughs> well, I know that they did a movie a couple of years ago. Our friends wanted to go, you know, Cheryl knows that I like true crime and she's mm-hmm. kind of fascinated by it too she said let's go yeah. see this lizzie borden movie but the Is reviews the were so i think so the reviews mm-hmm. were so bad we didn't even bother uh the christina ricci was on lifetime mm-hmm. it was a lifetime movie it was horrible they turned her into yeah. a serial killer yeah. i yeah. think you're thinking of the one with um with uh oh man i can't think of the actress Definitely really like I think we release. saw the one on, on Lifetime, or at least part of it. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. But there was one with, um, mm-hmm. oh, what's her name? Um, they, her. There was one where Lizzie and the maid were having an affair. Mm. That's the one. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think just... about that supposition? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I think the only real question unanswered in Lizzie Borden since the maid is the only other person on the premises, did the maid have some guilty knowledge? Did she cover up for Lizzie? Right. Okay. We could certainly debate that. Right. Which is where but, you um, might bring in that they were, you know. Well, I, yeah. think, I yeah. think this case, but, like a lot of them, that we could really elaborate on. Oh, yeah. And we could probably do a whole I episode. Teach, right? I, teach a, I, yeah. I teach an entire class on Lizzie Borden. It's it's a, like a four-hour seminar. Oh, wow. Um, oh, Absolutely. Everybody. <laughs> um, because it's such a woman's crime. And again, as I say, probably the first feminist, you know, uh, she was a spinster. She had no prospects as, as wealthy as her father was. The day she murdered her parents was her wedding day. It was her freedom day. Mm-hmm. You wow. know, and I, I love her for it. I know that sounds weird, but I love her for what well, she now, did. Yeah. I see what you mean. Though. I mean, it's it, an empowering the, the, yeah. the nature of the crime it's like especially back then people would be like no way would a woman do this you know no way yeah. you know and, and a delicate you know flower. i honestly believe the father was getting ready to change the will to favor the stepmother mm-hmm. and lizzie was not going to let that happen that yeah, was not happening now if she had successfully poisoned them mm-hmm. she would have been convicted and hanged yeah, that's a woman's way to murder. Right. But the method she used, and the fact that she maintained the ability to avoid the blood stains, and you mm-hmm. know she might have committed the murders in the nude for all I know. Well, um, and, and it, actually, it got her acquitted. Yeah. yeah, the the nudity I think speaks to the unbelievability of her committing the crime. Exactly. Because of the sheer volume of material women were expected to wear. Right. Exactly. And and the, the fact that being naked. Oh my it's goodness. Salacious. No. Yeah, I mean bashing in someone's heads is bad enough, but this mm-hmm. upright Christian woman was naked right. when she did it. Well, I think yeah. of the, um, the Elizabeth Montgomery version, now that uh-huh. I think of it from yeah. when I was exactly. Now that is an excellent movie. 
Yeah, I remember that. Stays stays close to the case. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, everybody everybody seems to. The main thing Lizzie's defenders will say is there was no blood on her. Mm-hmm. Well, she had ninety minutes after the right. stepmother murder to clean up, mm-hmm. and. Any other killer of the stepmother would have had to come down those front stairs with a bloody hatchet and clothes and wait for Andrew to come home. All mm-hmm. Lizzie had to do was kill her stepmother and turn left into her own bedroom mm-hmm. and and chill out for 90 minutes. So yeah. she definitely did it. Um, uh, but yeah. there's so many people that argue that she didn't. And it's just it's amusing to me. Ridiculous. <laughs> but anyway, um, we should probably move on because yeah, yeah, I'm we talking could... Lizzie Borden. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like yeah, that sounds like your wheelhouse. But I, I do want to talk about some of these uh, stories from Queen City Gothic. They're not stories; they're actually cases. Yeah, you know, they are cases. Some of them are yes. uh, cold cases. But um, you know, I've, I'm always fascinated by where our lives intersect with these—not just crimes, but sometimes you know, like when we went to Vernon and we right. saw. Uh, well, I'm looking at those examples, Phil. I'm stunned by this. Yeah. yeah. Your connection, Lisa's connection, your connection. Right. And you've got a bunch of them listed here, which I'd love to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Let's yeah. do that. Um, you know, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll lead. Um, so when I was a child, um, you know, under four, under school age, um, I uh, would often have to have a babysitter. I was the youngest child. My sister uh, had a friend um, that uh, babysat me one Saturday night. It may have been one of the first um, episodes of Saturday Night Live, and I thought mm-hmm. she was just fantastic. You know, because she <laughs> wow. let me. She was on the phone all the time. She barely paid any attention to me, but she was just really cute and just really. That have been that have been around 1975. I, I bet. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around that. Well, yep. that, that would make me seven. So maybe maybe I was in school, but in any case, I yeah. was being babysit by this uh, friend of my sister's. And uh, so I, she left an impression on me. She let me stay up till one o'clock in the morning watching this stupid TV show. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the only time. It was a one-off. You know? don't, don't denigrate SNL from the 70s. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, if it was the George Carlin episode, that was yeah. the first one and that was amazing. But Yeah, um, that was 1975. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, so I never saw her again. Didn't think mm-hmm. much of it. But very soon after that, um, there was a series of rapes and murders that was going on in Cincinnati. And eventually... The culprit was apprehended, and his name was Larry Ralston, and oh, he actually yeah. had a residence in Norwood. And my sister knew him from her association with uh, my brother-in-law, lived right next, right around the same neighborhood. But they lived on Ralston. Yeah, but she apparently the girl that had babysat me um, that night was one of the victims of this. Do you uh, recall the name? I do not recall the name. And when I look, you know, I've looked through the case. There's not a lot on the internet about Ralston. There's just a little that I found anyway. I'm sure that with your detective skills, you could probably find a lot more. But, you know, apparently, he's, you know, he's in prison. He's just kind of wasting away, wasting away in prison. But he would uh, pick up hitchhikers and, 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 you know, whenever he could get hold of, a, uh, you know, an unfortunate young lady, he would uh, rape and kill them. But uh, none of the people that he was actually charged with fit the description of this girl. So 
I always wondered, you know, with any, uh, like with any serial killer, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily being charged for everything you've done. And they might not prosecute you for everything you've done. Right. But hey, Phil? Yeah. Hey, Phil, if I, would you know the name if I, um, if, if I said it? Uh, the babysitter? I, I would not. Terry might. <laughs> okay. I would not. Um. Well, I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up something here. Um, um, from 1974 to 1978, uh, there were um, uh, 16 abduction, strangulation, rapes, dumping of of um, young victims, female victims, and they started a task force. Uh, it was from 74 to 78. 16 cases. I have the names here. Larry Ralston was convicted of four of them, actually. Mm -hmm. And we should certainly consider him a suspect in some of the other ones. Right. Um, And I have I have I have met other people that knew Larry Ralston. Um, uh, Chilling kind of individual. I don't know a lot about him, but they had a huge task force. uh, Two and a half year toll of female murder victims stands at 16. I'm looking at the headlines. Wow. Uh, Cheryl Thompson, Lisa Jansen, Charmaine Stola, Nancy Ann Theobald, Diane Sue McCroby. I could go on and on. Um, thought maybe you might recognize a name. It was such a, no, I'm afraid not. Elena Bear, Nancy Grigsby, Victoria Hincher, Dorothy Mm -hmm. Sullivan, Linda Dyer, Mary Ruth Hopkins, Carol Sue Claber, Susan Gorman, Linda Harmon, uh, Cora Durham. And I always like to mention victims' center. names. So, right, yeah. right. Put a face, yeah. put a name to it because uh, if we were to take those names, look and, what this uh, person has done to direct somebody's maybe life. Run them you know. in front of Brenda. Brenda will not talk about it. Oh. I talked. I asked oh, her about okay. it over dinner, just mm-hmm. like two years ago, and she uh-huh. went white and she said, "Never no. talk. Never bring this up to me again." When ah. people, when you mention Larry Ralston, people tend to go white like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he was, uh, you know, they only got four convictions, and I, he had to have done more. Yeah. The guy had a real taste for this. And, you know, we've got a similar M.O. with the abduction, rape, strangulation, and then the dumping far away from the abduction site. And as you guys know, this would this, this is indicative of an organized serial killer. Oh, definitely. There is no crime scene. Oh, that sounds... Yeah. You know, there's no body with clues laying there. A disorganized killer works in a specific uh, comfort zone, kills his victim, drops him, doesn't cover up. He's gone. Mm-hmm. This guy was very organized. Uh, uh, abduction scene, crime scene, dump scene, uh, no clues. Um, so uh, I, I bet you Ralston did a few more of these. I don't yeah. think there's any question. Yeah. yeah. But... Um, Eight of the 16 I'm looking at now on this article, and I can send this to you, eight of the 16 are unsolved, okay. uh, including the abduction of Nancy Ann Theobald, the daughter of the well-known zoo veterinarian. I've talked with her brother about the case extensively. Yeah. Uh, abducted yeah, from her job. Her. Yeah, she was working at the Arby's in Clifton, mm-hmm. right there on, um, on um, McMillan. Right. Okay. Abducted and found in Butler County a month later. Yeah, yeah. really. And well, 18 I, years old. I, I, you know, I have uh, maybe some investigative work could could help me 
recall or find out what her name but she, she was like just uh she was not from norwood where okay. i lived first of all okay. she wasn't like i mean it was just very um you know i always thought maybe it'd be a little bit uh, intrusive or, or a little a little yeah. bit morbid to try to track it down you know but i, I, just, I just feel you know that kind of haunts me thinking about that mm-hmm. hey let me uh i wanted to talk about a lisa connection uh-huh yeah lisa lived in green hills for a while as a child yes right. i did the location of the patty reb holtz murder mm-hmm. you had to hear about that didn't you living there lisa um, okay, we lived there when I was maybe eight to ten. Um, uh, let's see, we lived on Ingram Road, that much I know. Okay. Um, and there's some other weird coincidences about that particular situation that aren't connected to murder, <laughs> hopefully. But, um, uh, what is it? Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I, how old was I? I was in the... Let's see, I was in the, was I in the first grade when we moved there or the second grade? I must have been about, I was four in the first grade, five in the second grade, so six. You heard about it, right? No, no. Oh, no. No. Um, My, my parents weren't really news followers, Uh, so I probably, and I probably would have been like maybe seven or eight back when we lived there but so um nonetheless that's an interesting case books, though, right? I mean, but i haven't had a chance to actually read through all of them i kind of wanted to i knew that he was going to approach it from a full knowledge situation and i wanted to be able to approach it from like a, a different angle like more of a speculation sure. um you know free thought kind of thing yeah, that's okay that's that's a pretty, quiz, so. So, that's um, a pretty notorious yeah. case okay um, I get, I get asked, most of the questions I get asked about are Bricka. Uh-huh. I'd say of all the Queen City Gothic cases, Revholtz mm-hmm. is the one I get the second most inquiries about. Okay. Um, and it's, I'm looking at Phil's notes. Um, uh-huh. well, yeah, the boyfriend did, the boyfriend did it. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, I don't feel there's a lot of mystery there, but yeah. you know, he was finally prosecuted, uh, in 2001 and acquitted. And I think a lot of people took that to mean he didn't do it. Um, but what that really was, you know, he was 15 when he killed her. Mm-hmm. And um, they they did a marathon interrogation of him for three weeks oh, wow. with no confession, even though he incriminated himself multiple times. But a judge, Benjamin Swartz, mm-hmm. made him a ward of the court and sent him off to military school in North Carolina. And the whole investigation just just died. Well, there were people that were uh, Cincinnati or Green Hills was not a um, uh, a super wealthy area, but there were a lot of secretly wealthy people. It was solidly had, middle class, I'd say. Yeah. He, there were well, for instance, um, my parents were. Uh, my dad was a mailman, and my mom was a housewife. And uh, directly across the street was the CEO, um, one of the uh, vice presidents for um, Huffy. Oh, the bikes, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I know this specifically because when we lived there, my brother was dating their daughter, and they gave him a bike. Um, okay. And it was a prototype, one of the brand new 12 speeds. Yeah. 
Um, so that I know that he was like, so, you know, you had people that were quite a bit wealthier living directly across the street from people that were more, you know, just your regular, right. you know, yeah. income level, middle class. Lots of Freemasons and yeah. uh, Knights of the Golden okay. Dawn with secret dark past. They had all the uh, military housing, too. <laughs> you gotta go there, man. You gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had all that military. World War II uh, housing they put up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my dad, but, went to, my dad was in Korea. That's how they were able to buy that house. The, yeah, the, right. Right. Um, just wanted to point out, certainly mm-hmm. the reason for the acquittal, mm-hmm. I think, and if I'd been on the jury, I think I might have agreed. Yeah. He was being tried as a 52-year-old man for something he did when he was 15, and he was facing a right. life sentence as an adult mm-hmm. for a crime that would have netted him six years as a juvenile. And it it was not his fault that the judge stepped in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiring's parents did not want that deal. They wanted someone to bring it out of Michael that he had done it. Right. They just wanted. But to- then, but then he goes into juvie and he's out at age twenty one. So with the Mike Allen prosecution in two thousand one, he's mm-hmm. facing life in prison for a crime of passion. As a fifteen-year-old, uh-huh. he didn't plan to kill her. No, but she was dumping him. Uh, you know, I mean, think about all the teenage breakups. You know, yeah. in your life, how often do they end in murder? But the guy just, the kid just snapped. He's lost mm-hmm. it. He just snapped. And if, if I'm on that jury and I have to send him away for life for I something he did it. when he was fifteen, I, I don't think I'd do it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, um, so I don't think that conviction at all was an exoneration. Well, that's an interesting take because I know Mike Allen, who you mentioned, uh, is like a WLW personality. I've been on the radio with Mike a number of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he kind of he kind of championed that prosecution. I, I guess you know um, he led the. I told I told Mike he made one mistake. He went forward. And they had no DNA. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I I said, the DNA was completely compromised in that case. I I was in the, I was in the property room of the Green Hills Police Department. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually hefted the murder weapon. And here's what clinched it for me. You know, the murder weapon was that fence post log, Mm -hmm. kind of a rounded thing. And I, I put it in my hands in the basement there, the Green Hills cop station. And I, I knelt down and I started to try to strike blows mm-hmm. like Patty's killer was doing. And the edge of this log cut my wrist, my right wrist. Uh-huh. And Michael Wyrung had the exact same cut on his wrist when he uh-huh. came back from wherever he went. Mm-hmm. We've got a half hour of his time unaccounted for that coincides with the murder. Mm-hmm. And she is murdered a right across the street from his house. And kids, oh. he's got that cut on the mm-hmm. wrist, and I had the same cut. And I like to say, people people can lie, but behavior never lies. Mm-hmm. They finally found Patty. She went missing at 9.30 that night, coming mm-hmm. home from that dance. They found her at 5.07 a.m. in the backyard of the across-the-street house. Yeah, and they went across the street to Michael Wiring's house, mm-hmm. um, and they said we 
Pat, we found Patty dead across the street. Your girlfriend's dead across the street. Mm-hmm. And Wiring yawned and went back to bed. Oh, see, mm-mm. If, wow. if you if if you knock on my door and you tell me my fifteen year old girlfriend is lying dead across the street, you can't hold me back. Right, right. I am running to that spot. Yeah. So where, where yeah. is she? She was just yeah. cutting through the you yard or the field to. Yeah. She was going to break up with him, and yeah. And the ring that he had given her was off her finger in the purse. She had attended the VFW dance. He had asked her, told her not to do that because he was jealous. Mm-hmm. So she's walking over from the dance. Ring is in the purse. She called him and said, we have to talk. Mm-hmm. Phil, guys know what that means. Nobody has to talk. <laughs> we have to talk, honey. Yeah. He knew what was coming. Unless you've been living together for five years, it's not a we're exactly. married or else. Well, sometimes Lisa will say to me, we have to talk, and it means that I'm doing something wrong with the dishes or I'm leaving the toilet seat. <laughs> well, I, I'm a long-time married guy. <laughs> but I, I yeah, I know my wife mean. in the other There's room now, but you know, we have to talk. Girlfriend. But but consider this. Uh, I don't know what the conversation was. Mm-hmm. Uh, wiring left the house and started cutting across that yard, and they met. Because mm-hmm. they found her tooth knocked out in the middle of the yard, ah. so he started to throttle her and mm-hmm. strike her, and he dragged her over into the darker part of the yard, and that's where the fence post was. Ah. So he's not carrying around this fence post to kill her. No. This is it's absolutely a, a this a is a rage end. killing. Right. I don't think he even had time to form intent. No. Right. So this should have been six years in juvie, yeah. six years in juvenile detention, and you're out. Right. So there's no way that jury was going to convict, and I told Mike that afterwards, Mike Allen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they he, they were going to break up, and he just couldn't handle it. But mm-hmm. that case fascinates people mm-hmm. because it parallels to the Martha Moxley murder in Greenwich, where the Kennedys family were involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know There's if you guys know that activity. case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But um, um, I noticed you guys mentioned the Kobe murder on right. Marshall Avenue. Right. Mm-hmm. You guys live near there? Yeah, but not in, uh, we lived there in, uh, what, the 90s? Yeah, late 90s. We lived yeah. on Deckabock, which was mm-hmm. just right around the corner. There's a yeah. huge apartment complex that's still there. It's, yeah. That's like right there. Yeah. Bill, you read that case. Um, people ask me, what's the one in Queen City Gothic that even you don't believe your own eyewitness? And I say, it's Kobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the most, that is the coldest, most unfathomable riddle of a local murder case I have ever seen. Because not only do we not know the who and the what, we don't even know the when and the where. Mm. Yeah. Where were they in that car when they were shot? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that, that garage was empty for two hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was right um, in the middle of the day, right? I mean, it was like... She's walking him down to the car, and you know the steps. You know those uh, those earthen yeah. garages mm-hmm. there on Marshall? Right. You got yeah. the steps coming down. Mm-hmm. Neighbor sees um, Evelyn walking Dennis down the steps with the umbrella, mm-hmm. and she turns away. Oh, if she'd only kept looking... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because someone abducted them or mm-hmm. killed them. Dennis doesn't show up for work, 
Evelyn doesn't even go back up into the house. She never even goes back up the steps. Right. Now, how old was the child? Eight. Yeah. Eight. He okay. comes home at three o'clock, and this oh, is at two two twenty. He's certain the car is gone. Mm-hmm. He's quite certain, and that station wagon would have stuck out. And the pictures in yeah. Gothic show that. Right, those uh, are not giant garages. Yeah, the TV is on. the the dish The lunch dishes are on the table. His mother never would have left them. They, they are gone. Mm-hmm. But somehow, at a quarter of five. That car shows back up in the garage with their two shot dead bodies in the back seat. That is crazy. And it doesn't look like robbery was a motive. No, they weren't. They had nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, who would have targeted these people? And why would you kill them and bring the car back to the garage? Yeah. I mean, I do not. I do not believe they were shot right as they were walking down to the garage at all. That car was gone. People heard shots closer to quarter of five. What was this guy? What was this guy doing with them? Yeah. Where did he take them? I mean, that, is, that's this really is not like a, a side side street. This is the kind of street that people exactly. Would eventually a through Thank street. you. And, like and a, the garage is right up against street. the street. Right. Yeah. You know, people are people are going driving up and down that street all the time. Yeah. Commuting in the Western Hills. My exactly. Theory. It's it, it's a shortcut to Clifton, and nobody saw nothing. My except this woman that saw them walk theory. down the steps. Traveling serial killer. Well, I mean, it's I mean, always it's a possibility, a I guess, and that's that what would make it brain, difficult to try. You know. I mean, my brain just. Just based on what we just said here, my brain goes to crime of opportunity, serial type killer. One of two things. One, either one of them was into something they shouldn't have been, like maybe gambling debt. Um, I do know that while a lot of people don't realize this, I have a personal connection to the knowledge that there was mafia in Southwest Ohio. Oh, yeah. um, back th- back in those, you know, in that time, there probably still is now. It's maybe better hidden, but, you know, but there definitely was. I have a personal connection to that. Um, but, uh, you know, I also think crime of opportunity. The serial killer sees this nice little domestic scene, a woman seeing her husband in the car with an umbrella. He came home for lunch. He's going back to work. Take that's the opportunity, bold. pull a gun. Why not? Wow. That I mean, bold. I can see how you might, in the first place, there's a certain anonymity because nobody knows you. Okay. And a lot of serial killers are kind of bold like that. But at least from what I've. At least on know, the TV. Right, right on TV. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But um, well, it is did a, you a read, bold. Lisa, did you read the chapter? I that? did not. No, like I said, uh, well, I wanted to I, kind of. I know Phil like, did. Yeah, yeah, so, and there was a there's um, a person of interest, right? It, oh, okay. If, if there if there is something that uh, I would say the Kobe's were pretty mm-hmm. normal, regular folks. Yeah. The only undercurrent that ever came through was related to Dennis Kobe's job mm-hmm. as an orderly at the Veterans Hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, relating to possible abuse of patients. After lights out. Uh, that's the only. That's the only smoke that ever drifted through. Yeah. About Dennis Kobe. Okay. And so, was this some revenge by a former patient? 
There was a there was a person of interest that you mentioned, Leonard Dieters. Yes, that's a, yeah, that's in summer's almost gone. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I took a note on that. Yeah. Um, that guy was um, that guy was in and out of some veterans hospitals, um, mm-hmm. uh, but they couldn't make it. But um, that's the only um, that's the only little hint of scandal that might have existed. Yeah. Uh, Evelyn Kobe had almost no life outside that house except for the dance lessons at Arthur Murray. Mm. But I, I don't see serial killer on this one. I actually, it yeah. could have been, I think the killer was very young, mm-hmm. possibly trying to steal their car when he was surprised by them. Mm-hmm. But but you guys know that street. That Those garages right. are so narrow. Right. The whole street right. is very... so much lower than the house. There's only parking so on one side. Lower, the and there's, there's virtually no room to even get in the car in yeah. those garages. Yeah. But, and then plus so, the, the other houses, if I can just say, there wouldn't really be a whole lot of line of sight. No, not at all, if you think about it. Good point. Yeah. Because of the weird elevation there. But right. the woman who saw them walking down the steps... Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't see anyone lurking near there or on, or right. in the garage. And I can see but, how anybody could have hidden very easily. Mm-hmm. Maybe not uh, even on purpose. Maybe hiding in the garage, but again, it's so mm-hmm. narrow. Right. But but it, it appears literally that someone abducted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Took them somewhere. They and were alive for a while, and then he mm-hmm. shoots them and brings them back. The car is warm. Mm-hmm. When they find the bodies, and based on digestion, they appear to have been killed later rather than sooner. I mean, it's 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 unfathomable. This case, and I wrote about thir- I wrote about thirteen cold cases in Queen City Gothic, and mm-hmm. I-, I thought I solved most of them. Mm-hmm. I don't have a clue about Kobe. Seriously, it's like one of those locked room mysteries you used to read about. Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's unsolvable. From a female um, perspective, I'm leaning towards your um, abused veteran theory more uh-huh. than towards the um, surprised uh, car thief. Yeah, they looked at yeah. three. They looked at three mental patients that uh, two of them were on unauthorized leave the day of the murders. They were out yeah. and about. Yeah, and a couple of them had 38 caliber. Uh, guns, which would match our ballistics. Yeah, they just couldn't. They couldn't stick it on anybody. Right. You know, I know Tom Kobe quite well. I'm still mm-hmm. in touch with him. Yeah, you're eight years old and you come home from school, Ugh. and then your parents are found shot to death in your garage. Yeah, and how do you come back from that? Did he find them, or did no, okay, no, good. his uncle did. Yeah. Yeah. He called his he called his his aunt and said he was worried. He didn't know where they were. His mom was and all that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know they 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 actually queered the crime scene. They they pulled them out onto the sidewalk because they thought it was carbon monoxide. Ah. Uh, okay. An honest mistake. Yeah. But it would have been better if they'd have been left as found in the car for the investigation. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, there appeared to be yeah. defensive wounds on both of them. They're holding up their hands as the shooting occurs. Bullets going through elbows and forearms. Oh. Uh, killer in the driver's seat, couple in the back. Um, but why? It doesn't sound like it was a maybe 
I mean, yeah, mentally ill. It does to me. I mean, I think you've got that. I think that's it. Well, you, you talked about the crime scene possibly being, um, you know, I don't think the investigators aren't custom to these types. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're paid to do them, to, to, you know, but the, I think they're prone, especially back then without the DNA so much and everything they were they're looking to... for the smoking gun. They show right. up and there's the guy with the smoking gun over the victim. Right. 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 That's Probably. what they're looking for. 99 uh, times uh, out of a hundred. That's what they get when they get to a crime scene. Yeah. yeah. You know, they want, they call it a ground. They're going, they're looking for a ground ball. Not yeah. who done it. Right. So, right. um, but, um, Hey, just to let you know, um, I'm only good to about 1230. Okay. 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 No problem. That's good um, enough. Um, I would love to talk about Bricka. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. That was on my agenda here. I was trying to, mm-hmm. to get and, and, um, down to it. Seriously, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm hoping uh, I get invited back to do uh, some other of these. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I think we've got we've got Jack the Ripper, Lindbergh Baby, Zodiac, mm-hmm. uh, Black Dahlia. I mean, come on. Right. Oh, like, oh yeah. There's oh. Some Even some of the things we've uh, already talked about, you could mm-hmm. definitely spend much more time oh, breaking yeah. it down. You know. Mm-hmm. Hey, but, Phil. Yeah. Phil, you wrote something here, and I wanted to mention it quickly. I'll, I'll be brief. Um, you're drawn to stories because you've been at those places. Right. I love the way you said you got that feeling when you visited Appomattox Courthouse because I had the same right. feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find it helpful? as a writer to visit the locations you write about in your books. In in 2013, my wife and I took an East coast trip. Um, We spent two nights in the Lizzie Borden house. Mm. We spent four nights in a, on, in a villa on the, on the ocean in Newport, Rhode Island. That was great. No true crime there. But on the way home, I talked myself into the Lindbergh house where the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped in 1932 and very oh, few writers have ever got in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And the I, moment I, we're walking through this house and we see how isolated this house is in 2013. Mm-hmm. And you know, in 1932, it was desolate out there mm-hmm. and how Bruno Richard Hauptman could have driven two hours to find this place mm-hmm. and know what room the baby was in. But yeah. we're walking through the house. It looks big on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's very small scale on the inside. Mm-hmm. My wife whispers to me, we're walking through on a tour, and my wife goes, inside job. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, sh- no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking he had to right. know someone. Well, I, well, I heard you on he uh, Dan Sapansky's podcast. Yep. And you were trying to... Yep. I don't think he wanted to open that can. Yeah, he he was he, he kind of takes it. He, he yeah. sounds like a detective himself. He's kind of really kind of no nonsense. I mean, he didn't take the yeah. bait, but I would I would definitely like to explore your theory on uh, you know Mr. Well, Lindbergh. Um, I have the, I have a thing called prime constraint theory. You find it in a case when virtually every other piece of evidence has to funnel through this one. Mm-hmm. And this is the crux of the Lindbergh case. That house was still under construction. Uh, they had only been staying there on the weekends, and every Monday they would go back to um, uh, Lindbergh's wife's parents' estate in Englewood, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they stayed Monday and Tuesday because the baby had a cold, supposedly. Oh. Only a handful of people 
knew that the family was there on a Tuesday night. They were not supposed to be there. Right. And only about 15 people total knew they were there. There were five people at the Lindbergh house the night the baby was stolen. Lindbergh, his wife, three servants. Mm. There were 10 people at the Morrow mansion that knew they were there. Mm-hmm. Who else knew they were even there? Yeah. Right. Certainly not Bruno Richard Houtman, who paid for this crime in the electric chair mm. and was definitely innocent. Yeah. No question Houtman didn't kill this child. He might have extorted the money in a cemetery. Yeah. He didn't kill that child. Mm. Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh, I don't know if you've read about him. Mm-hmm. He's no hero. No. Wasn't he a Nazi sympathizer? He's a racist, misogynistic, Mm -hmm. Nazi eugenics sympathizer. Mm -hmm. And there was something wrong with that child. Yeah. It sounds like the baby was sick. I mean, you've said that. That's why they were still there, supposedly. Yep. Yep. But there was something wrong with this child. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, some kind of birth defect that Lindbergh couldn't handle. The child had rickets. Um, ah. There's almost no photos of the child taken after his first birthday, mm-hmm. but he was kidnapped at 20 months. Mm-hmm. But almost no photos after the first first birthday. Very large head on this child, possibly some okay. kind of encephalitis. Uh, Lindbergh would not have tolerated an imperfect no. child. No, a Nazi would not have. They, yeah, they would that not was have. part of the Nazi agenda. That's all Putting very down and, and, the, and, the, the less than. Exactly. And I say this when I do my Lindbergh classes. Mm-hmm. For eighty five years or however many it's been, people have been looking for a kidnapper. Right. That's the wrong direction. They should they have been looking for, for a baby killer. Yep. This is a murder. It's not a kidnapping. Look for someone who would kill a baby. And who do you look at when children are murdered or missing? Who do you look at? The parents. The parents. Whether it was an accident or on purpose, to me, when you when you take in everything else, I'm thinking I'm thinking on purpose. Like the Rams. Stranger abductions are very rare. It was an accident. I think Lindbergh baby. Based on just this, well, I would say on purpose. I mean, all these these cases but are just the Ramses, coming out of, I would out of, say accident. of I woodwork. Think they didn't mean to kill her. Yeah. I think it was an accident. Maybe they shook her. And you talking about the Ramses? Yes. Oh my God! I mean, because we could talk about oh. you know we could yeah. take these cases and break we'll them all down. Day. You know, it's like uh, I teach not... a I teach a Jean Benet Ramsey class too. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your classes. How we intend to give you an opportunity to tell people how they can get your books, but how can uh, someone who's interested in taking your classes? How could they? Get... Yeah. Where do you teach? Um, I, I teach I teach at UC Community. It's oh, their okay. adult learning center. Oh, yeah. um, I'll have a couple classes this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, real quick on Jean Benet Ramsey, mm-hmm. I'll just break this down for you. Mm-hmm. Patsy Ramsey wrote that ransom note. Yeah. She wrote it with her left hand. Mm-hmm. So she wrote it offhand. Uh-huh. Um, I guarantee you she wrote it. So why did she write it? Because she accident, I think it was, I do think it was an accident. I don't think it was a planned murder. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you totally. And then they were trying to cover up an accident. She is covering up either for herself, Uh for John, or for Burke. There is no reason to write that note. 
and you know it's the little things that get me um the, the, the i mean what a ransom note three pages it's the war and peace of ransom notes yeah right. how about we've got your child don't call the police we'll be in touch no. Yeah, because right. I can see kidnapping a cash cow, or at least what people who are not in the know of how expensive it is to do those pageants. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that note reeks. Plus, that note reeks of Patsy. Yeah. The, the kidnapper uses the incorrect phrase in the note, uh-huh. and hence, uh-huh. it's hence. Yes. Patsy wrote and hence in a Christmas card three days before that ransom note was written. She said and hence. That's a tiny thing, Mm -hmm. but that speaks volumes to me. She wrote the note. So I've I've become more suspicious of Burke. Mm -hmm. Maybe the the child. It's almost like somebody doesn't um, uh, exercise their Miranda rights. They go ahead and just have kind of diarrhea of the mouth and, you know, mm-hmm. writing a uh, four page yeah. note is sort of like. Exactly. <laughs> Let's remember that. Treatment yeah. <laughs> yeah. On paper. But, but Burke is the brother, right? Yep. Yep. Jean Bonnet was struck once in the head, a horrible blow, but it was not fatal. Mm-hmm. Someone at that point strangled her mm-hmm. to cover up something. Right. Consider the. I don't know if you guys know how much I love weird statistical aberrations, mm-hmm. but the yeah. FBI did a study of 1,700 child kidnappings for ransom in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. 1,700 of these. Ugh. In only one case was the victim found murdered in their own home, right. and that is Jean Benet Ramsey. Right. One case. Yeah. So. The Ramsey thing stands out from all those other child kidnappings. Think about that. It's a statistical anomaly. Now, what was the relationship with the parents? I mean, where was the mother's, you know, how was the marriage? Oh, with her her and John? Yeah. How was the marriage? Well, what I ask is, because she was devoted to this pageant thing. And I oh, can yeah. see how her spending all that money on the pageant thing could have been a problem between them. So incredibly what I'm wealthy, saying though. is I think that all of that leads towards covering up the child, the son. I mean, that's very speculative. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As opposed uh, to the, the scandal. They, they, just, so, they couldn't stand the scandal at that right. point. And I can see her being very careful with her product. Because... Yep. It occasionally seems like, you know, with those stage moms, with the pageantry, the child is almost more of a product than a, uh, than a, than their beloved child. Yep. So I can definitely see, I think it leans towards that. Yeah. That she's well, covering up for her son's accidental exactly. murder. Um, yeah. Let me try to get you guys over to Bricka. I'm down okay. to about 15 right. minutes right. here. Wife is, a uh, maiden name was Bulaw, B-U-L-A-W. Of course, her first name is Linda, middle name is Jane. She attended, she's originally from the Chicago, Illinois area. And she attended Elgin High School there and also National College of Education uh, in the Illinois area. Her father's name is uh, Adolph Bula. And uh, the only address we can come up with so far is Barrington Hills, Illinois. 
uh, Gerald, the deceased husband, graduated from Stanford University from all indications. They were married in Barrington Hills. Uh, Linda Jane attended uh, airline hostess school, United Airlines in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and her first assignment apparently was Seattle, Washington. Can you say whether you have what you consider to be any good leads or clues in this case at this point? I can't say at this point. Where were the victims found? <clears throat> Mr. and Mrs. were found in their bedroom, what apparently is their bedroom, on the floor. Was he uh, laying across her? No. Where was the child? When will we get in her those? bedroom? Next has right. criminal assault upon her been confirmed at this time? No, it has not been. I, I don't know where that information came from. Is there anything that would suggest it in your investigation? I can't say. Right, we're not leaving enough time for the for the, the guy, no, it, hey, Jakey's yeah, life's work it, here. You know, it's totally okay. Uh -huh. I mean, I mean, I like I said, I teach seminars on these on these cases, and it's hard right. to get it all in here. Right, but um, but um, I mean, the yeah. Bricker murders are, are Cincinnati's most notorious cold case. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no question about it, and um, um, I've been obsessed with this since it happened and the fact that we had a serial killer running loose at the same time mm -hmm. i mean what a story right i yeah. mean uh um i've been trying to get my book on dateline or somewhere else and i'm still i'm still confident we'll get the story out there but um it's an incredible thing what cincinnati went through in 1966 mm -hmm. and Definitely. brick is just such yeah, a parents went through some stuff <laughs> it's a it's a it's kind of it's got all those things on a homicide you kind of want. You got the workaholic husband, the gorgeous ex-airline stewardess wife, mm -hmm. the possibility of an affair, you know, the whole idea of living on the west side of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. I call it a small town city. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know how yeah. the west side is. Yeah. It's totally segregated from the rest yeah. of the, by the, by the highway. It's like, yeah. a complete... you know, west, west side is womb to tomb. You're born there. You die there. Yeah. Right. And it's very close knit, and um, what a crazy crime! And you know, here here are the stranglers running loose, and at the height of this, this beautiful family is just butchered. Yeah. In their home, I have seen the crime scene photos. Um, uh, very brutal, but yet controlled mm -hmm. at the same time. This wasn't a frenzy. Mm -mm. Um, we're talking an alpha male mm -hmm. killer here. Yeah. We're talking a sophisticated uh, kind of person. I had a profile of him and Summer's almost gone. Mm -hmm. um, this was a high-functioning individual. And um, I always thought it was a single killer until mm -hmm. I saw the crime scene photos and saw mm -hmm. Jerry Bricka's physical size. Yeah. Saw the skimpy negligee Linda was wearing. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Two killers. Yeah. Gotta be two killers. Was wearing that negligee when they got there, or this was a staged thing or part of a play, oh, so to speak. It's it's Sunday night. Right. And they're gonna watch Bridge on the River Kwai, the TV premiere, and Jerry's flying out the next morning. You're wearing a skimpy negligee. Yeah, that doesn't Why? Sound, yeah. You know, their marriage is in trouble. They're not really 
hooking up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, she's been having an affair. Did she confess it to him? Um, there, there's so many questions to and ask about the that. Time and they didn't talk about it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And she goes to work at that veterinary clinic that week. Mm-hmm. And she's known the veterinarian ever since 1963. And so they're linked together. They're linked that? together romantically. I, I like they, the Nancy Drew theory on that one. The Nancy Drew theory. Well, I call it the Nancy Drew well, theory. Well, okay. So Lisa has this theory that uh-huh. uh, you know that uh, that Linda had uh, some uh, the drop Suspicious. on Doctor Leininger and uh, you know some some information or something like that, and was using it to blackmail him. I think it's an excellent theory. The family is only murdered after she goes to work there. Exactly. She goes to work Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they're murdered on Sunday. She's known him for almost three years. Right. But only after she goes to work there does she get murdered. After she gets access to the inner sanctum. Yeah. Is that but our prime constraint? Of her. Yeah. All of a sudden. And and do you think that Leininger might have planned this, or maybe that this was? Somebody else planned this. And I think, he, need, I think he needed that. help. I think yeah. Fred Leininger needed help. That's what I think. To handle Jerry Bricka. Yeah. You know, the questions abound. Linda had told mm-hmm. some people at that wedding in San Francisco that she was late on her period. Oh. Was she pregnant? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, she and Jerry weren't exactly hooking up. Now, the autopsy showed no pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But. You know, was uh, did she lie about being pregnant to someone? Right. Did she push someone in a or corner? Did she think she was because she was late, and it turned out she wasn't. But after yeah. that, it seemed like there were some hearsay uh, quotes, if I recall, from the book that maybe she had mentioned it casually to someone while in San Francisco or something. She mentioned it to several women out there about mm-hmm. about being late. Mm-hmm. And let's couple this with a key piece of evidence: she had sexual intercourse mm-hmm. I mean they called it rape initially I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by the way the word rape disappeared from this case and consensual sex mm-hmm. suddenly was brought in but based on the seminal fluid the analysis for blood type which is rudimentary and it was all they could do mm-hmm. whoever she had sex with did not have Jerry Brickus blood type okay. and they were both common blood types you know Mm. We're talking O versus A or something. Uh, but it wasn't Jerry yeah. that had sex with her the, the day before. And, you know, I get people, people get on me on social media. They say I'm slut shaming Linda Bricka. I never called oh. her a slut. No. But, but adulterous affairs are a risk. They're a risk factor for homicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People get killed over affairs. I'm trying to figure out why this family was killed. I don't think she was promiscuous. No. I think I think an affair mm-hmm. led to this brutal triple homicide. And why indeed do you kill the four-year-old child other than the fact that she can ID you? Right, mm-hmm. right. And three witnesses said that Debbie called Leininger Uncle Fred. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Game, set, and match. Uncle Fred. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it speaks to, you, you mentioned, you know, you're an armchair detective um so it's the preponderance of circumstantial evidence really points heavily towards dr 
Leininger. Being it's involved, huge. if yeah. not yeah. the actual murderer. I mean, it's not DNA evidence, mm-hmm. but no. um, the accuracy may be um, one in 25 that it's not Leininger or something. Yeah, the DNA profile is not good, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they can't get a better one. Yeah. Um, you know, I pointed out 13 coincidences pointing to Leininger late in the book. Mm-hmm. And I point, I mentioned the fact that no one, no suspect is that unlucky enough to have those things pointing at him. Yeah. But I immediately said it's not enough to even bring an indictment much less a guilty verdict. So in a court of law, we got nothing. In the court Mm -hmm. of the armchair detective, it's massive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's the quote I had at the beginning of that chapter um, from Edmund Pearson? I love that quote. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold on, I'm flipping through the book. Um, Yeah, I have the book over here, I just don't have it. No, I got it, I got it. When seven, here we go, when seven or eight clear items of circumstantial evidence point directly to the guilt of a person, mm-hmm. that person is innocent nowhere but mm-hmm. in a detective novel. Right. Yeah. Booyah. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, everybody's into DNA now. Mm-hmm. I get it. But I don't like the way people denigrate circumstantial evidence. Right. Um, I had someone say to me, well, it's a chain, and if I break a link, it falls apart. No, circumstantial evidence is a rope. You may take my strands away, some of them, but I still have a strong rope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if it, so, looks like, if it acts like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a freaking duck. <laughs> Thank you. If you hear hooves, think horse, not zebra. Right. Murders are usually what they seem, and Bricka seems like an adulterous affair uh, 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 obsession took a wrong turn into rage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like the Lizzie Borden murder, we have a rage killing of the two adults followed by the killing of the child. They're afraid of this child. Mm-hmm. Right. They're afraid of the child. It's the or child them. or them. Well, I, they have I agree. to kill this child. I agree with you that Leininger, I, I have to come to the same conclusion you did. But there is so many interesting um, twists and turns to this. Oh, my characters. God. Like, uh, one I think of is Jim Cannon, who worked Jim with Cannon. Gary at Monsanto. Yeah. And this guy, uh, he had a, a kind of a bad reputation with the, you know, for harassing women and things like that. And he absolutely had an adversarial relationship with Jerry. Even there was even a report of him having a fist fight with jerry like right around the time of the crime i think and you know they never identify those people clearly mm-hmm. i think what bothers me most is cannon had a detailed alibi i don't see the follow-up interviews with those people mm-hmm. yeah. and i see this with some other suspects did you check the alibi um yeah. that um herman raider the creepy vet who stabbed people in 1958 yeah. mm-hmm. His wife and child alibied him. Well, did you talk to them? Right. Um, um, that guy was Even known to stab him, people. It's your wife and child. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, there was um, there's a lot of interesting suspects in this case that could have helped Leininger. Well, think uh, about Glenn Cannon. Ryle. Yeah. Oh, well, my mother right. dated him, and she yeah. she broke up with him because she found him creepy. 
he was creepy. I was on his show. I, I thought he was really weird and really a guy who could really handle himself physically. Mm-hmm. Special forces trained. I mean, I got no evidence to link him to that other than the fact they flagged his interview. Yeah. And he's he's close friends with Leininger, of course. Right. Right. So um but okay. hey, I'm 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 getting to my five minute warning here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I would like to really encourage people to buy Summer's Almost Gone. Yeah. Uh you can That's buy it on Amazon and get get the ebook and all that, but the yeah. best pricing is on my website. Yeah. Uh, jttownsend.com. Plus you don't get the pictures on Amazon. Exactly. Uh, you know, I love to give people a lot of images. Don't you hate a crime book where there's 10 pictures in the middle of the book? Mm. Yes. You have to keep yeah, flipping up over and forth. Right, right. I, right. I would, I would like never do that to, to my readers. Yeah. And like where you have to find the map when you're reading good science fiction. Well, exactly. Just yeah. for convenience, I read it. I read the Amazon ebook because I read mm-hmm. everything I read is on my phone now. So, but mm-hmm. I, I did go back. Lisa actually purchased um the hard copy, the hard copy for me mm-hmm. and it showed up website. and i did uh enjoy going through the book and uh, looking at the pictures they're much clearer much you know larger oh, absolutely um, mm-hmm. so it was very and i i lay i lay on the images true crime people want them yeah mm-hmm. they want the pictures yeah you know right. so um I, I hope i get to come back Oh, I need absolutely. to. I need to definitely wrap up. Right, we hope right. right. I okay. I really appreciate your time. To, yeah. Like you know, we just threw out so many cases here that we could have. We we really we bounced all we bounced all over the map. Yeah. Um. And you I know, we kind of make people hungry. Yeah. Go ahead, JT. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I appreciate coming on, and um, you guys are just kind of starting out, right? Right. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not your first, am I? No, no, not no. Um, no you're no. our first celebrity, I would say. Oh. Although Lou Diamond, who is a radio personality locally, yeah, yeah. so yes, sure. you and Lou would be our first local celebrity. I, I, I would hardly say I'm a celebrity. Yeah, <laughs> our, our first was just a, a a really good family, a good friend. No, we got a okay. we got another true crime writer uh-huh. that's interested in coming on. Oh, yeah, he was he involved in yet. the Sherry Shriner. Well, he wasn't involved. Yeah. He's written about this Sherry Schreiner cult mm-hmm. leader. He's more into the cult thing um, than the murder thing. You know, you know, real quickly, Bricka has a lot of rumors about a satanic cult. Mm-hmm. And and I find some of them very credible. Mm-hmm. And I would normally dismiss something like that. You know, conspiracies are hard to pull off. Right. You know, yeah. three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but But some of these some of these satanic things in Bricka have really hung on. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more avenues to pursue. I'll leave you guys with this. Uh, mm-hmm. I've committed on Bricka Unlocked. Um, I'm going to push everybody to get the DNA reanalyzed, and I'm going to offer a reward. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I am going to do it. Yeah. You know, this is this is my case. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. this is the one that I've dedicated most of my life to. And... Um, <laughs> I want to get justice for this family. Let us know if you do like a GoFundMe type thing and, and we'll be glad to link that in. Yes. Um, I will. I'm going to put up, um, I'm going to put up some of my own bank mm-hmm. um, right away. And I'm thinking of starting it at 50 K mm-hmm. and I'm going to put all my book proceeds in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, here's the hope. There's always new ways to extract DNA. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys know our three DNA are the Marlboro cigarette butts, the hair, and the semen. Right. But they sent they sent 30 boxes of material to the FBI. Let's mm-hmm. start looking at the rest of it. Yeah. And with these ancestry sites, we don't need to dig up the exactly. prime suspect. We just need to get a hit on a relative. Yes, thank you. Right. I and mean, this, there's cold cases being solved every week now. Yeah. And, so, and, and sometimes the people are dead. There's you know? no court issues because it's they volunteered to do this on Ancestry. You yeah. paid to convict your relative. You did. Well, know, we're on the grid. We did Ancestry. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen cases where yeah. the killer is dead, but it becomes closed and the police tell the relatives of the killer, mm-hmm. hey, your father, uncle, brother, cousin... He killed this girl back in 1985, and we have proven it. Right. We're closing the case. The DNA has linked him. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, I'm at least three generations removed from an actual father, brother, uncle, cousin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I well, think anyway, you're a hard but, stop. Um, hey, I, I enjoyed talking with you guys. And, yes, um, you. Um, if we do another one, mm-hmm. maybe, we should, maybe we should focus on a specific, uh, uh, a specific topic. I think so yes. too. And, I, think so. And, I don't feel like we gave Bricka the real. Uh, oh, you know, Brickish Mika. I've been. Uh... Well, I wanted I wanted to introduce some different stuff because the other podcast I've heard you in is really concentrated on the Bricka case. So I'm glad sure. we had an opportunity to do that. But I know we're at a hard stop, and I, you know we could go on for a while. Let me let me leave you with a tantalizing thing. Okay. Um, Jack the Ripper is our most well known psychosexual unknown serial killer. Mm-hmm. I have a stunning theory on Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you will drop right. your jaws. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, people love that case, and I'd love to talk about it. Excellent. Maybe we it's, can name that podcast. It, it, it's history. you know, there's a new Jack the Ripper book out every year with a new mm-hmm. suspect. Right. And Amazingly. the actual killer, he was right there the whole time, and everybody's just ignored him. Um, mm-hmm. and, well, I'd be uh, really interested. Let's. Let's yeah. uh, make let's, a. Uh, uh, let's put a bookmark a on that. Book, we have bookmark on it, and we'll get back to that on a future episode. But JT, it's been great having you. I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. It's been worth. Well, I appreciate it too, um, Phil and Lisa, and um, uh, you know Jack the Ripper, Lindbergh, Lizzie Borden. I mean, you know, but I think this Jack the Ripper theory I have will really blow some people yeah, away. Well, that'll that'll keep people wanting for the next appearance. Exactly. Okay, I gotta. You know, I'm on my wife's clock now. So all right, I know that is. I gotta go. You You have a good day, man. Hey, listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah, Uh Huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have social Twitter. Yeah, Uh Huh Pod. Instagram. Yeah, Uh Huh Pod. Facebook. Yeah, Uh Huh Pod. Notice Notice a pattern. pattern. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. If that's okay. I could do an intro for you real quick. Overture, curtain lights, this is it, the night of night. <laughs> and oh, what night heights will hit on with the show, this is it. Outstanding. Yes. Oh, nice voice. Terrible.